0: Wow, ready to get into the word of God? Yeah, I believe that if you've made it into the building, if you've made it into city campus, God has a special word for you. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter three, verse 18 to 22, that's today's passage. Today's sermon is titled, From Victim to Victor, From Victim to Victor. And let me read the passage for you as we get into the word. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, or the ark was being built. In it, the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him." There is a story of a young African-American boy by the name of Waddell. Waddell grew up pretty much with a basketball in his hand. He loved to play basketball and his dad used to play basketball. His brothers plays basketball. So when he was growing up playing basketball, he really hoped to make it to the NBA, the National Basketball Association in America. So he grew up playing ball in primary school, in high school, and when it came for him to choose a college, and college is make or break if you want to go pro, he needed to choose a college that plays really good basketball. But the problem is, Wardell had a problem. Wardell was really small and skinny. Funny enough, uh, Pastor Dave this morning came up to me and said, Dan, you look very skinny today. Despite me looking skinny, Wardell was even more skinny than me. Can you imagine a basketball player wanting to play in NBA, but more skinny? He was actually lighter than me, and he's actually shorter than me at the time of college. So he tried to make applications to all the big colleges that play basketball really well, and he got rejected, 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 rejected. He went to look for the scouts, and the scouts just completely overlooked him. He went to the different coaches, and they all rejected him. So he was really having it tough. In the end, he needed to make it a college. So he chose a college, a small-time college that, whose name I can't even remember now. And this is a liberal arts college. It's not even a sports college. And this college never made it to the college basketball association, the, the, the tournament. Didn't even make it for 40 years. But he joined the college. And first year when he went in, he was like a nobody because people didn't think much of him. Small-sized guy, couldn't play basketball, they thought. By the time he entered his second year, played played ball for second year, Waddell actually helped that small-time college team make it to now the Elite Eight of the College Association of Basketball. And then in the end, he got drafted to the NBA, still wasn't number one in the NBA, still overlooked by the team that he joined. But this is is what happened. In his third season in the NBA, (coughs) Waddell smashed the record... For the number of three point shots made in a season, in his third season. In his fourth season in the NBA, Wardell smashed his, his own record the previous year for the total number of three point shots in a season. And he became the NBA, an NBA All Star. In his fifth season in the NBA, Wardell smashed, guess what? You guessed it, his previous record for the total number of three points. And this time, he won his first NBA championship and the most valuable player. And he's still playing basketball. In many years, he's been playing. And just last month, in the NBA, Waddell won his fourth NBA championship and the NBA finals most valuable player. At this point of time, some of you folks probably guess who Waddell is. His full name is Waddell Stephen Curry, too. Steph Curry. How many of you know who Steph Curry is? How many Golden State Warriors fans do we have in this house? (laughs) Just a little bit. This is Steph Curry, one of the greatest three-point, well, I think the greatest three-point shooter in the NBA of all times. What a great underdog story. What a great story from being a victim of his circumstances to now a victor. In the same way, this week's Bible passage describes Jesus' journey from being a victim to a victor. The passage that we just read begins with his suffering. But if you read to the end in verse 22, it actually talks about his sovereignty. But the problem is, this passage is a very weird passage. It is. Not only does it feel like it's very poorly written, it's like a year one student in primary school trying to write an essay about Pokemon. It doesn't make sense. Things don't gel up. Not only that, but it's also very off-tangent from the rest of the sermons, the rest of the passages in first Peter. And in case you missed the earlier weeks, I'm going to give you a quick summary of what happened and what we talked about. Week one. We talk about us praising God, week two, our responsibilities as Christians. Then we talk about our choices to become God's people. We talk about us being citizens of heaven and on earth. Then we talk about us reflecting Christ. We talk about us being the church last week. This week, it talks about Jesus wins. And then next week, we go back into us living for God. So strange. Because it feels so out of place, it's so easy to read this passage and let it skim right over our head. But you know what? These verses are actually the theological anchor for the whole letter, and I'll tell you why. So today we'll unpack these verses. But today is not one of those verses where you can just chill and relax and hear the message and feel good. Today is 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 that kind of passage where you really need to dig in with me. Pay attention. Write your notes. Go to FCC.live, sermon notes if you have to, and track with me. But we're going to understand the truths within, which is so important. And number two, even more than that, that we better live out the victory that we have now in Christ. Let me bow in a word of prayer as we commit the time into the Lord's hand. Father, would you come and send your spirit to speak to every single heart? I believe you have a word from every single, for every single one of us. And today, God, would you speak in power, with clarity, with confidence that it will bring out that new life that you so desire for every single one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So how did Christ go from being a victim to a victor? This passage unpacks for us three distinct stages, three stages. The first stage is this, the first stage of Christ's journey from victim to victor was when he defeated death. Number one, Christ defeated death. In verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament, prophesied about Jesus hundreds of years before he was even born. In verse four to five of Isaiah 53, it says, surely he, pointing to Christ, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The Bible very clearly tells us that Christ suffered. He was in pain. He was punished. He was crushed. He was hurt. He was even ultimately killed. So friends, don't miss this. Before Christ, the victim, sorry, before Christ, the victor, Christ began as the victim. He started out being suffering and hurting and in pain. So if today, maybe when we talk about Christ being victim to victor, maybe some of us identify in this moment in your life with Christ the victim more than Christ the victor. Maybe some of us right now, you're experiencing suffering of some kind. For those of us who are online, watching from home, maybe you are, that's why you're there. For some of us, we may be in pain, We may be crushed by our circumstances, feeling like our nose is barely above the water, going in and out of the water by our circumstances. Maybe some of us, we are hurt by others. And so you identify with Christ, the victim. As your pastor, can I say this? I want you to know, you are not alone in this. It may feel like no one understands. It may feel like in your suffering, in your circumstances, no one really fully gets you but I wanna say Jesus Christ, he understands, because he was there too. That's why we can be sure of this. He was a victim. Before you were there, he was there already. He experienced the same thing. He experienced the same suffering, the same pain. Christ, the victim. But praise God that that's not how the story ends. Remember Isaiah 53? Let's read on and see what it says in verse 11. After he, that's Christ, has suffered, He will see the light of life and be satisfied. In other translations, it says, he will see the fruit of his suffering. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. First Peter was written by by Peter. Uh, The apostle Peter, in his very first sermon in Acts chapter two, this is how he ended his sermon. He says this in in 2.24 of Acts, but God raised him, that is Jesus, from the dead Freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him, by the power of God, Christ raised to life and defeated death. That's why he took his first step from victim to victor. Brothers and sisters, we are following a death-defying, death-defeating, eternal, everlasting living. God. This is the God that we believe in and we serve. Our God is not just a God who gets us. He's a God who also gets up. He's a God who comes back alive, is living and all-powerful. Jesus Christ is alive today. How many of you can say amen to that? But Christ didn't just defeat death. He also defeated the darkness around us and inside of us. This is number two. So the second stage of Christ's journey from victim to victor was when he defeated all darkness around us and inside of us. In verse nineteen to twenty, it says this: After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. <laughs> this is where you need to pay careful attention. So if you have been sleeping, it's time to wake up. If you have been writing notes, it's time to warm up your fingers because you're going to write more furiously. If you've been typing notes on your phone, just keep typing. It will be worth your effort, okay? Track with me, track with me. You ready? You ready? Okay. Most Bible scholars hyperlink this imprisoned spirits. What is this imprisoned spirits? Most Bible scholars hyperlink this imprisoned spirits to fallen angels in Jude verse 6, to the sons of God in Genesis 6. I'm going to bring you through this on this journey so you understand what this imprisoned spirits is. In Jude verse 6, it says this, and the angels, the fallen angels, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, which is in heaven, They they, they abandoned heaven. These God has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on a great day. So who were these fallen angels or imprisoned spirits? The apostle Paul here and Jude, they understood this to be ancient angels who had deserted God a long time ago and made their home among humans as evil spirits. So the story in Genesis chapter 6 actually talks about this. It says in Genesis 6, 1 to 5, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, these are the sons of God, which is the angels, saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. Pause here. How many of us think that our wives are beautiful? Trick question. You better say yes. Your daughters are beautiful. Beautiful. So the angels, the fallen angels, saw that these women were beautiful. Reading on, what did they do? And they married any of them that they chose. Wow, angels come to marry human girls? Wow. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal." The days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God, the sons of God, the angels, went to the daughters of humans and had children with them. What, they even had children? Yes, they did. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw, keyword, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. Genesis 6 tells us that the appearance of those evil spirits on the earth caused such a great darkness in the human race. And it goes on in the next few verses to describe how the humanity, the human race, almost imploded on itself because of this appearance of these evil spirits. So what did God do? God imprisoned those spirits. He locked them out in darkness and in chains sometime before the appearance of Noah. That's what happened. That's the whole backstory. To make it easy for us, I like to think of it this way. Immoral spirits led to imploding humans led to imprisoned spirits. It's fun for me to remember that way. Immoral spirits led to... Imploding humans led to imprisoned spirits. And that's what happened. So, coming back to 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says that the resurrected Christ made proclamation to these imprisoned spirits, spirits who once caused a great darkness to fall on humanity. The Greek word for proclamation, make proclamation, is the word ekeruksen which literally means to make an official announcement. Ba-ba-da-ba. An official announcement. Often is an announcement of victory. Sometimes when we read, oh, Christ made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. He preached the gospel to them. We think of the way that we preach gospel to our friends. Would you please believe in Jesus Christ? God is good. Do you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ? Would you please come to church with me? We think Jesus is doing the same thing here. Please Please believe in me. Would you please believe in me? This is not what Christ is doing. Christ is making a proclamation of victory. He's making a powerful announcement of victory over death. It is an act of triumph over the darkness and the forces of darkness. He's saying, I am back. I win. That's what Christ is saying to the evil around us. Why is this important? Because it is assurance, it is an assurance to us that Christ has won the ultimate victory. No matter how dark this world gets, God is still in control. I want to have a quick word to those of us who, who are parents of kids, children, teenagers of the next generation. I want to have a quick word to those of us who are leaders of the next generation, leading young people. Those of us maybe who are pastors, if you're watching online or if you're one of us, who are leading the next generation. Those of us who are teachers in schools, counselors over people, Therapists, social workers, justice advocates, social entrepreneurs, people who are trying to fight for the next generation and to raise them up in a godly faith, to bring them into a way of living that brings glory to God. I know some of us feel like we are fighting a losing war. It is tiring. I raise my children, but it's so hard. I teach the kids, but I can't preach the gospel. I counsel one after the other, but they're so broken, more broken than ever before. Look at the Australian 2021 census. It says the young generation is more irreligious than ever before. Mental health is higher and more prevalent in this generation than ever before. It feels like we're swimming against the tide. We're swimming against a torrent that is pushing us back. We are losing the war. But the Bible says no. God is still alive and at work. The Bible is saying, if it ain't good yet, God ain't done yet, because God is still alive. We, Christians, are fighting from a place of victory that Christ has won for us. The battle is not over. Christ has already proclaimed, it is done. It is finished. I have won. That's where we begin. But it wasn't enough for Jesus to just defeat the darkness around us. He also wants to defeat the darkness inside of us. If you read on in Genesis chapter six, then we begin the story of Noah and the flood. Let's read it in verse five to eight. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled, broken. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. But then there's a plot twist. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You see, friends, God not only saw there was great darkness in the human race, he also saw that there was great darkness in the human heart. And that's what caused the story of the great flood and caused it to come about. Now, if you don't know anything or enough about the story of Noah the flood, here's a quick summary. The days were so dark and evil that God regretted that he made creation, humans, so he wanted to reset and, and re, re, restart everything by destroying and ev- wiping out everything. But he found this guy called Noah and his family, Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight in all. He says, Noah, if you would obey me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a big boat called an ark and I want you and your family to go in it. And I will send the animals that I want to keep into the b- big boat, the ark, and I'm going to send flood to rise up from the ground and rain to come from the skies. It's going to cover the entire world with water, and it's going to destroy every single living thing, and then when the flood dissipates and it dies down, you're going to come out of that boat and the animals with you, and I'm going to restart creation and human- humanity through you. That's what the story of Noah was about. And that's what God was trying to do. So coming back to 1 Peter chapter 3, come back. Verse 20 to 21. In the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. What is Peter saying here? Peter is saying that just as how the great flood, the water, allowed humanity, all of humanity to reset and Noah's family was saved through the water in the same way, water baptism now also becomes the means to reset ourselves and line our lives up with God's plan for us. Water baptism, that's what it means and that's what he's saying here. Let me tell you a story, of a a real story of a family I used to pastor that went through water baptism. Great, amazing testimony. This father, the father of this household, two daughters and his wife, was anti-Christian. He hated Christianity, didn't want anything to do with Christianity. But what happened was the wife was going through a tough time of depression. So one of her friends decided to bring her to church. And when she came to church, she encountered God and she received Christ. So she went back and told the husband about it. Husband was obviously upset, didn't want to have anything to do with it. So she said, but next week, I'm going to bring our two daughters to church. You have two choices. One, you either come in with us, join us, or number two, you can at least drive us there. So you say, okay, fine, I'll drive you there. But what I'll do is I'll drive to the gate of the church. I'm going to stay in the car. You open the door, you get out, you go into church. I'm going to drive on, and I'm just going to wait in the car for you. When you're done, call me, and I'll come and pick you up. So she said, okay, that works, that works. So she brought the kids to church. And after a few months, she decided to get water baptized. And so she invited her family to come and join her and watch her get baptized, including her husband. And then the husband said, okay, fine. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be in the last row, but I'm gonna join you and see what it means for you to be baptized. By this time, he was already beginning to see life changes happening in his wife. So his wife got baptized. He saw and then he began to see the transformation that God was doing in her through, after baptism. And so she gave him another choice. Okay, now I know that you've been coming to drop us in church. Why don't you come into church to join me? And he says, you know what? Fine, I will go into the building with you, but I will stay in the foyer. I will be outside the auditorium. I won't join you in the service. I'll just be on my phone. When you are done, you come and find me and then I'll bring you back home. She said, fine, Good. So he was in the building for a few good months, never stepping into the service. And then eventually, his two daughters decided to get water baptized. So on the day that they were baptized, he was there again. He saw what happened. He saw the life transformation that happened after the baptism. And then he decided, you know what? I'm not just going to be in the foyer. I'm going to sit in the service with you on the last row. And I'm going to be there. And then we just experience what, what, what you call church. And so he did for a few months. And then eventually, his mother-in-law also came to church and got baptized. And he saw the whole family being changed. Before you know it, he himself received Christ into his life and his life began to be changed. And then he decided to be water baptized. And on the day that he was baptized, this was the testimony that he shared. God changed my life, my family, one by one. And now me. I saw my wife smile again from depression after she started attending church. I saw my daughters transform from being a shy girl to singing praises to God on stage. Even my mother-in-law was converted. God was knocking on our door. Joy came to our family. God's love through their changed lives awoken me. Praise the Lord. This is the power of the life-transforming work of the the Holy Spirit through water baptism. Not one, not two, not, well, not one, not two, but three generations of one family came to know God and had their lives transformed because of water baptism. In verse 21 of Peter, it says this, not the removal of dirt from the body, it, it, baptism is not just the removal of dirt from the body. You don't go for a bath with a pastor, that's not what it is. But it's an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Peter is saying that the outcome of water baptism is, is not just outer behavioral modification, but a powerful appeal to God. When you choose to be baptized, you're saying and appealing to God, God, would you clear me up, not just on the outside, but from the inside. Have a clear inner conscience towards you. In other words, it's a total and complete life transformation. That's what happens when you go through water baptism. Maybe at this point of time, some of you are thinking to yourself, whoa, I also want to be baptized. Maybe those of us who have been baptized, you're you're thinking, whoa, I also want to be re-baptized. i got good news for you. On the 16th of October, (laughs) on the 16th of October, we will have our next baptism. And I'll encourage you, if you have believed Christ or you want to follow Christ, go get baptized. It's one of the biggest and the best decisions you can make in your life, other than your marriage and other than receiving Christ himself. So here's how you do it two ways. You can go onto FCC.live, Equip tab, and register for the baptism class, which gets, which gets you registered for baptism itself. Or after this service, if you're in Williton, go out to the Equip counter and let them know that you're interested to find out more, and someone there is going to help you out. If you're in city campus, talk to one of the leaders. They're going to help you out in registering for water baptism. But this is something that is beautiful and powerful, but just in case that you mistakenly leave today thinking, oh, if I get water baptized, that means I'm saved. Peter is saying, no, 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 no. In case you're thinking of that, that the saving power of baptism is not in baptism itself, but is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 21, he goes on to say, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, Christ not only defeated death, He not only defeated darkness around and inside of us, but there was one final enemy that he defeated. The third stage of Jesus' journey from victim to victor was when he defeated all the powers and the dominions of this world. Verse 22, Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. This verse affirms two things. Number one, that Christ is the ultimate victor. You see, in the ancient world, to sit at the right hand of a king signified that this person now acts with the authority and the power of the king. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. That's why in Psalm 110 verse 1, King David was writing about the future Messiah. He said this, that's Jesus Christ. He said this, The Lord, or Yahweh, or God, says to my Lord, which is Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. If you have been tracking along this First Peter series, there were many weeks where we talk about being submitting, submission, in submission to authority, to the king, governor, governor, uh, uh, emperor. We talk about slaves to masters, your bosses. We talk about wives submitting to husbands. We talk about suffering, the submission of all these, to all these authorities. But now here, every single spirit, the Bible says, every single authority, every single power, in other words, all dominion, now has to bow in submission to Christ. Because of Christ's victory, the tables are now turned. We as Christians can submit to our authorities because these authorities are in submission to Christ. That's how it works. That's why in Philippians chapter two, it can say this. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I hear a good amen? That's why the Bible can say you can live life on earth like that because Christ is the ultimate victor. He's not just the ultimate victor, but he's also our ultimate future. Where Christ is right now is where Christians will be in the future to rule and to reign with Him in heaven. In Ephesians 2.6, it says this, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope that we can hold on to no matter what life looks like and what we go through in life. This is the secret to making lemonade when life throws you lemons This is the key to going through life's difficulties and come out better and not beaten. This is the recipe to true happiness, whatever your season of life looks like. Philippians chapter four in the message version, this is Paul's voice, he's saying this, I have learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found a recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me close with this question. So what? So now that I understand that Christ went from victim to victor, so what? What has that victory got to do with me? Let me bring us back to the first verse. You read with me. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God catch this. The goal of Christ's victory is to bring you and I to God. The word to bring is the Greek word prosago, which also translates to lead. In other words, Christ wants to lead you and I on a journey from the troubles of this world to the throne of heaven, to the throne of God, to the heavenly realms. When you follow Christ, He will lead you into his victory over death, darkness, and dominions. When you follow Christ, you're no longer just a victim of circumstances. No, you are a victor over circumstances. When you follow Christ, the battle is no longer yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. Christ, the victor, will you trust him to lead you into victory? Will you entrust him with your life and trust that he's working all things out for your good? Will you trust him and believe that you in Christ, through Christ, will not be crushed by anything or any circumstances, but you can come out better than ever before because of Christ in you? Church, if you're able, would you just stand with me today? In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we will get back into the time of worship very quickly. But before we do so, if today's message has spoken to you, if God has spoken to you through the word that's preached today, and you wish to follow Christ, maybe you've never followed Christ before, you've never accepted Jesus into your life, you've never become a Christian, but now you want to entrust him with your life into the hands of the one who is all-powerful, all-victorious, if that's you today. Or if you desire to experience the victory of Christ in your life, maybe you're struggling with worries or fear over death, with all that's happening around you. You're worrying, you're fearing. Or maybe you're struggling with all the evilness and the darkness around you. There's so much seems to be going wrong in your family, with your kids, with the next generation. You don't know what to do. Or maybe you're struggling maybe with some darkness inside of you. You're still struggling with sin inside of you that you can't seem to overcome. If that's you today, I want to invite you to come down to the front in City Campus as well as in Willerton. Come down to the front during the time of the worship and allow us, the team, to stand with you in prayer until we see the victory of Christ in your life. Would you do that with me? If you're coming down to receive Christ, to follow Christ, would you come on this side of the stage so we can pray with you specifically. For the rest of us, as you come, just make your way to the front as we get into a time of worship. Let me pray. Jesus, we wanna thank you that you're real and that your victory is so powerful, so complete, so comprehensive. And even though our eyes can't see it today, we believe it that you are working out all things for our good. You're working behind the scenes. If it ain't good yet, God ain't done yet. And we pray today, God, that as we encounter you and experience you, we will receive your victory in the moment now, and also in the future that is to come. We believe that Christ is the ultimate victor. He's the ultimate future for us. That He defeated death, defeated darkness, defeated dominion. So now we can rise up to rule and reign with Him, and to be with Christ wherever we go. Let your power be evident to us as we worship you and thank you and encounter you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.